Our second Bible reading tonight um, taken from Matthew chapter 8, verse 1 until 17, which you can find in page 1040. When he came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said. Be clean. Immediately he was cured of his leprosy. Then Jesus said to him, See that you don't tell anyone, but go Show yourself to the priest and offer the gift Moses commanded as a testimony to them. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed and in terrible suffering. Jesus said to him, I will go and heal him. The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. But just say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. I tell this one go, and he goes, and that one come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was astonished and said to those following him, I tell you the truth, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their place at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go, it will be done just as you believe it would. And his servant was healed at that very hour. When Jesus came into Peter's house, he saw Peter's mother-in-law lying in bed with a fever. He touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she got up and began to wait on him. When evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him, and he drove out the spirits with a word and healed all the sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took up our infirmities and carried out our diseases. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Christine. Now, let me express my warm welcome to all of you. There are a few visitors here tonight. Uh, My name's John. I'm one of the ministers who serve in this church. I serve with Chris uh, in our team here. Um, I'm going to give you about 30 seconds to turn around, welcome each other, grab an outline if you like one there out the front, and I'll call you back in about 30 seconds.
Okay, friends, let me invite you back. We'll make a start and consider this passage. Please keep your Bibles open. We'll make our way through uh, that whole passage. By an English minister, John Dunn, of the 16th century, he once said this, Death comes equally to us all and makes us all equal when it comes. What do you think about that quote? What do you think about what he said? Sounds true, doesn't it? We all die one day. It's because of this that throughout human history there have been many people who went out looking for the elixir of life, finding some potion that will help them live on forever. Now, one such guy who wanted to cheat death, who wanted to go on living forever, was a guy, you probably don't know this guy, but he was the first emperor of China. First emperor, the, the guy who united, unified China. Now, this, this guy was the guy who was responsible for making the thousands of terracotta warriors. We've all heard of that, I'm sure. Uh, we got to see an exhibition. This is the, these are the terracotta warriors. That's the emperor who was responsible. We got to see an exhibition on this a couple of years ago in Sydney. There's Yvonne, kids. And, of course, in the background, you see the ter- terracotta warriors, the horses, in fact. So, this emperor the first emperor to unify China, he wanted to live on forever. He was frightened by death. He was obsessed with trying to find this elixir of life. And so this guy, he sent out hundreds of men and women around the globe. In fact, um, legend has it they landed in Japan. He sent them out finding this potion. But this guy who wanted to live on forever, he died at 50 years of age. And you know what he died from? He took some mercury pills eating mercury pills. Well, that was apparently, uh, he was told by his uh, court physicians that that was meant to help him live longer. (laughs) It didn't help. didn't help. And so what do you think about this quote? Death comes equally to us all and makes us all equal when it comes. You see, death is this giant shadow that casts its shadow over all of us and there's really no escape. Everyone will die. And of course, through medical advancement, the advancement of medicine, we are living longer. Uh, We are in some one way or another fitter, eating healthier. In the first century of Rome, uh, they lived to about, their life expectancy was only about 30 years old. But today in Australia, do you know what it is for for man? Man, uh, men, life expectancy about 78 years old. Women, about 83 years And so we're living longer. Modern medicine is helping. But despite that, you see, death always wins. Death will outflank us, outwit us, outsmart us. Death will find new ways to kill us. We will die. In fact, a couple of weeks ago in my growth group, my Bible study group on our Thursday night, we've got a cardiologist in our growth group. Now, he was sharing a bit about his work and he said this. He said, we are all living on three and a half millimetre vessels. Our life hangs on three and a half millimetre vessels. It wasn't that encouraging. You know, it seemed like we can die any instant. But of course, for us in that growth group, we felt pretty safe. If anyone, one of us, was to have a heart attack, we had our own cardiologist. But you see, we are all under the shadow of death. Everyone dies. And you see, death is in fact no accident because when everyone gets, anyone gets sick, anyone gets old, anyone dies, 
This is in fact a reminder to all of us. It's a reminder to this world that all is not well with this world. Death is not right. In fact, all is not well because the sickness that we experience, the illness that we experience, the death we see all around us is in fact the consequence of God's judgement against this world that is against God. Now this is not to say that when I get the cold or the flu it's because of some particular sin in my life. It's not saying that at all. But what this is saying is sickness, decay, illness, death, that's because of God's judgement against this world that has been against him. And so right from the beginning, right from creation, the first people, Adam and Eve, the shroud of death has been looming over all of us since then. And in our passage today, Matthew chapter 8, this is what we see. Three people at three different stages of life, three different diseases, but all under the sentence of death. And so we look at the first guy. Let's have a look. The first guy we meet is a leper. He was one who was like the walking dead. The walking dead. Sounds like a a good movie title or something. He was like a walking dead. You see, leprosy is a disease of the skin. In Latin, it literally means scaly. And that's because their skin became scaly white. Bacteria eats away their skin. It devours their skin. In fact, Yvonne told me in her time in Vietnam, she saw many lepers. They were beggars on the street. And it was never a, a, a... Good sight to see. But today, leprosy, it's a curable disease, but in the ancient world, it wasn't. you die from it. And not only that, there was this social stigma surrounding leprosy. You see, the lep- leper had the appearance of death. Their skin was rotting as they walked. They had the stench of death. They were, in fact, the walking dead. You see them, it's like seeing a zombie. But you see, leprosy in the Bible was not just some unfortunate freak of nature. It was often associated with the divine judgment of God. The leper, they were banned from associating with anyone. They were banned from the people of God. They were isolated from the temple worship. They were left away, shunned by even family and friends. And so the leper, they were considered unclean. They were unclean, cursed by God, cut off from God. And so as they walked the streets, they would have to cry out, unclean, unclean so that people would make way and stay away. And so we come back to this leper, the walking dead. As he walked, his his flesh was rotting away, decaying, and he was displaying to the world the judgement of God upon this world. A reminder to everyone that all is not well with this world. But then he, in his story, he hears of Jesus. He's heard of this guy. He's heard that this guy can perform miracles, that this guy can heal, that this guy can cleanse. And so he approaches Jesus. Now you can just imagine that scene. Jesus was surrounded by so many people, but this leper approaches. People were parting way for him. Not because they respected him, but because of the fear that they might be touched by him. And you can hear parents, hey kids, stay away, stay away from the leper, don't let him touch you. That was the leper's life, the walking dead. And so he comes to Jesus, he throws himself down to his knees. He pleads, he begs like his life depended on it. And he did. Look at verse 2. He says to Jesus, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. So what will Jesus do? So that's the first guy. 
Well, let's look at the second guy. We meet now the centurion, the local ruler, the commander of a Roman army. He comes to Jesus and he pleads with Jesus for his servant. Look at verse 6. He says, Lord, my servant lies at home paralysed and in in terrible suffering. And so here we meet another under the sentence of death. There are no private hospitals, no team of medical experts who help him, no no physio. This guy was paralysed. He was as good as dead. You die. No hope. It was helpless. He was as good as dead. A reminder to the world that all is not well with this world. So what will Jesus do? Now let's come to the third person. Finally, we meet Peter's mother-in-law. She was sick. Now no jokes about mother-in-laws being sick, but she was really sick. Now we're not sure what type of fever she had, but in the ancient world, any fever was deadly serious. You die from any type of fever. You can't take the Panadol, you can't take a shot of penicillin. Illnesses that we consider minor today, the common cold and flu, were deadly. People died from those things. You see, death in the ancient world in the first century was so much a part of human life, everyday life, that people had to try to cope with death. Their kids, their family, their cousins, their aunties, their uncles dying all around them before they turned 30. And so they had to try to cope with loved ones dying all the time. Now, just so you can get an idea of how much illness and death was a part of everyday life, one Roman emperor, Marcus Aurelius, this guy here, from the second century, he lost several children in infancy already. And so what he did was he practised a kind of detachment from his children, a kind of detachment of life. And so to help him cope, each night when he puts his kids to bed, he kisses them goodnight, he would repeat a saying of a Stoic philosopher. He would say this, Perhaps it will be dead in the morning. This detached detachment from his children, from life. You see, death was a part of everyday life in the first century. Death was everywhere. You see the leper, you see the paralysed, you see the one with the fever. They are looking at death. And so Peter's mother-in-law, she was confined to her bed. She was literally awaiting for her death. And just like the leper, the one with the fever, you're not meant to touch them. You're not meant to touch them. That was in Jewish tradition. And so what will Jesus do? So here we meet three people. The walking dead, the one who was as good as dead, and the one awaiting death. They were a sign, an advertisement to the world that all is not well. We are sick. The world is sick. The world is broken. The shadow of death is cast over everyone. And if you think about it, it still casts its shadow today over us. You see, it's never nice to get sick. I don't like getting sick. Never nice to get ill. Never nice to see people get ill. Never nice to see people get cancer. Never nice to go to a funeral. We hate death. We don't like death. It's unnatural. You see, all is not well with this world. And so what did Jesus do? Well, let's have a look. With these people under the sentence of death, what did Jesus do? Is he not God's king? Can he help? Will he help? We see, the leper had no doubt that Jesus can help. Do you notice what he said? Have a look. 
Look at what he said. He didn't say, if you can, but if you are willing. And so what did Jesus do? Well, Jesus was willing. Jesus went over and touched the leper. That was a big, no, no, you don't touch lepers. You see, they were cursed by God. To touch them was to be cursed by God yourself. You see, they they were repulsed by uh, everyone. They were shunned by family and friends. Everyone will find them disgusting. Their stench, the stench of death. And so no one would touch them. You're not allowed to touch them in Jewish laws. And so if you touch them, you would become unclean yourself. And so if I had leprosy, and if you decided you want to touch my hair, well, you become unclean. Jesus went over, touched this leper. And what happened? Did Jesus become unclean? Well, the reverse happened. The reverse happened. Jesus did not become unclean, but the leper became clean. The leper became clean. The Bible, when it talks about leper getting better, talks about them getting clean, not healed. And so... What no one could do, Jesus did. The leper who was facing death, Jesus reversed this sentence, rolled back the sentence of death that was overshadowing him. He was the walking dead, but now he was the walking alive. Now, in the same way, Jesus touched Peter's mother-in-law. She was also untouchable. You're not meant to touch anyone with a fever. But Jesus touched her. And did Jesus get the fever? Did Jesus get sick? Did Jesus get her curse? When said she was healed. And she was healed instantaneously. It was complete. It was effective. Because we see this. Look at it. Verse 15. She got up and began to wait on him. That is, she got up immediately and served him. Now, I don't know about you when you get sick. When I recover from the deadly man flu you hear going about, when I'm recovering from that, I usually, uh, Yvonne, she's here, but I usually whinge and complain for a couple more days before I'm of any use at home. But she got up immediately and served Jesus. Her healing was complete, effective and instantaneous. Her healing was for real. And so it was for the many who came to Jesus that evening. Who could do such a thing? Who could touch someone with a fever and heal the person instantaneously? I mean, you can go to a doctor, the doctor might touch you and take a temperature, but the doctor still has to give you a medicine. The doctor can't do that type of thing, but Jesus, by his touch, he healed her. And so once again, Jesus reversed the sentence of death that was overshadowing her. She was in bed, awaiting for death, but now she's alive and serving. But you see, Jesus didn't just have to, always have to touch to heal and to clean. And the centurion, the guy in the middle, he actually recognised this. He recognised that the power of Jesus is in, but the power of his words. And so let's look at verses 8 to 10. Look at what the centurion said to Jesus. The centurion said, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. You see, the centurion recognised his own unworthiness. Though he was the local ruler, he ruled over the Jews, But he saw Jesus as someone who had a much and far exceeding rank than he did. And so he continues, he says, Just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes. And that one, come, and he comes. And I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. 
Now, what did this centurion mean by that? Why, why, why did he say those words? You see, he recognised the power and authority that was vested in Jesus because he knew the power and authority that was vested in him. You see, in the Roman military system, all power resided in the Roman emperor. All power resided in the Roman emperor. And that was delegated down through the military hierarchy. And so he stood somewhere in the middle. He had people over him, he had people under him. And so whatever he commanded his soldiers to do, he had the weight of Rome behind him. He had the weight of the Roman emperor. And so to obey him was to obey the Roman emperor. And so if he said jump, you say how high? It's a bit like my relationship with Chris. Chris is my boss. He says, John, do this, I'll do it. (laughs) No questions. (laughs) But you see here, to defy him, to defy the centurion, was not simply to defy him, but it was considered rebellion against Rome, treason before the emperor and an insult to the empire. And so that's why he said to Jesus, you don't have to come to my house to heal my servant. You don't have to come to check him out or to touch him. You can just speak. You speak with the power and authority of God himself. When you speak, God speaks. When you say something will be done, it will be done. And so the centurion recognised the power of Jesus and his word. His word was God's word. And because of this, look at how Jesus responded. Jesus was astonished, amazed at his faith and says in verse 10, I tell you the truth, I have not found anyone in Israel with such faith. Now, in the gospel stories, it's always the people who are amazed at Jesus. When they hear of his teaching, see of his miracles, they get amazed. Jesus, she never, he, he never gets amazed at anyone, apart from their lack of faith. But here, We see Jesus was amazed, not by a Jewish person, but by a Gentile, by a Roman centurion. And so Jesus says to him, verse 13, Go and it will be done just as you believed. And the servant was healed at that very hour. So the paralysed servant, as good as dead, he received a new lease on life. Jesus continues to reverse the sentence of death the shadow that is cast over all of us. Now, if you think about that, that is unique. That is special. That is one of a kind. If I said, I can heal you, come here, let me touch you, you'll throw me in the hospital. I'll be crazy to say anything like that. But Jesus did that. He touched, he spoke, people were healed. The walking dead walked alive. The one awaiting death rises up and serves. And now the one as good as dead is as good as alive. Now, of course, I know, and I know that you know, that though the leper, the paralysed servant, Peter's mother-in-law, though they were given a new lease on life, in the end, they died anyway, didn't they? They died anyway. They probably got a few more years after the healing of Jesus, but they were buried And they were eaten by worms. They died anyway. And so you're thinking, good stuff, Jesus. You gave them a few more years, but they died anyway, didn't they? How good is that? What good is that? They died anyway. And so you you, you think, death appears to still have won at the game of life, even though Jesus was there. Death appeared to still have won at the game of life. What do you think? Does death 
always have the last word? Does death always have the last word? Now, for those who don't believe that there is a God, those who call themselves an atheist, that is, that there is no God, well, death would be the last word. You die and then there will be nothing. Death has the last word for those who claim to be an atheist. So what do we think? Does death have the last word? Is the shadow of death so big, it casts the shadow so wide that none of us can escape? Well, though the leper and though the paralysed servant and though Peter's mother-in-law did die, if you look closely enough in this passage, there are clues. There are clues that death will not get the last word. There are clues in these stories that there will be an end to death once and for all. You see, death will not get the last word. And this is the Christian message. This is the hope that we have and this is the hope we proclaim. And that's why you have Christian missionaries like Reese and Rhonda in South Sudan proclaiming the gospel because death does not have the last word. And so I want you to come with me and have a look at these clues. So the first clue. We see this clue in the cleansing of the leper. Now, do you notice what Jesus said to the leper? Look at verse 4. Jesus said, Go show yourself to the priests and offer the gift Moses commanded as a testimony to them. You read that and you think, what's Jesus on about? This guy was just healed from leprosy. Why not tell him, go home, tell your family and friends, you've been healed. God has been good to you. God has saved you. Why not tell him to go home? Why tell him to go to the priests and offer the gift. Why? Well, you see, it's because according to Old Testament laws, to be accepted back into the people of God, he was required to present himself as a clean person before the priest with his sacrifice. Now, just imagine that conversation he would have had with the priest. The priest asked him, so, you're that leper. How can you be here? You're clean. Now, how did you get cleaned? How were you cleansed? How were you cleansed? The leper said, well, you wouldn't believe it. I met this guy, Jesus. I went to him. No one would touch me, but this Jesus, he touched me and I was cleansed. You see, the cleansing of the leper was a testimony. That is, it was a witness to the priests, to those around, that God's king has arrived. It was the dawning of the messianic age. The one greater than Moses has arrived. Jesus was able to do what the law was never able to do. The law pronounced the leper unclean. Jesus made him clean. The healing, the cleansing of the leper is the dawning of the messianic age. And what that means is, is the beginning of the reversal of sickness and illness and suffering and death. You see, death will not get the last word. This is the proof, this is the testimony that the leper was healed by touch. Now, there's another clue. There's a second clue that death will not get the last word. And we see this in the story of the centurion. Now, what was it that Jesus announced when the centurion believed? Look at verses 11 and 12 with me. Jesus says, I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven but the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. See, Jesus here speaks of the great banquet of God, throne for God's king. 
with the finest food and finest wine. And for some of us, that might just be yum cha. That's pretty good. But for some others, it might be caviar and lobster and oysters and a cow. (laughs) But do you notice who will be at that banquet? Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. They've already been dead for at least 1,500 years. How can they be enjoying some banquet? Who will be at this banquet? You see, the, the fact that Abraham, Isaac and Jacob will enjoy this banquet is that de- it shows that death does not get the last word. And who will be there with them? Well, Jesus tells us it is those who share in the faith of the centurion, those who trust in God's king, Jesus. Those who trust in him will live on. You see, those of us who do trust in Jesus will share one day in this lavish banquet, this magnificent banquet. Those of us who trust will enjoy heaven together. And so the second clue, death will not be the end. There is this banquet of God for God's king to see. Now there's a final clue, a final clue that death will not get the last word and this is in our final story. Now, what do you think the point of all these healing and miracles of Jesus was for? Well, we're actually told. The answer is there in verse 17. Have a look. All this, you see, all that Jesus did was to fulfil what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took our infirmities and carried our diseases. You see, the sickness, the decay, the death that we see that plagues the world and plagues all those around us, it's actually a sign an indication, an advertisement that the world is spiritually sick. The world is spiritually decaying. The world is spiritually dead. All is not well with the world physically and spiritually because the world is under the curse and judgment of God. And so how do you go about reversing that? How do you go about reversing sickness and decay and illness and death and curse and the judgment of God? Well, that's why Jesus came. This was to fulfil what Isaiah said. That's why Jesus came. Not simply by his touching. Not simply by his speaking. But by his bearing of the sickness and illness and decay and death and curse and judgement of God. It is by his bearing of all those things upon himself. And that's what we see here. That's why Jesus came. That's how Jesus will reverse death for those who believe. You see, the arrival of God's king is also the arrival of the suffering servant. This, this quote from Isaiah in verse 17 is taken from Isaiah 53, which was in our first reading. So if we have a look at this. Jesus came as God's king, but also the suffering servant. This is how he reverses the sentence of death that shadows us. Isaiah 53. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Surely he took our infirmities and carried our sorrows. That's the quote in Matthew. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds we are healed. See you see there? Death will not have the last word. Death does not have the last word because Jesus came to bear it for us. 
Jesus came to bear it on the cross of Christ. And so when he died, he bore our sickness, our illness, our decay, our death, the judgment and curse of God. He dealt with death for us. So what do you reckon this quote I shared with you at the beginning? Death comes equally to us all and makes us all equal when it comes. What do you think? I actually think it's only half true. I think the first bit is true. Death will come to us all. We will all die, rich or poor, tall or short, old or young, death will come. But I think the second part is not exactly right. You see, when death comes, it will not be all equal for everyone. It won't be equal when death comes because for some, in fact for many, there will be suffering, there will be despair, there will be the weeping and gnashing of teeth and this is the vast majority of the world around us. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's why we are on about proclaiming Christ and his cross to tell this world of the hope that we have. You see, for many, that will be their end weeping and gnashing of teeth. But for others, you see, for those who share in the faith of the centurion, for those of us who trust in Jesus as God's king, as the suffering servant, for them, for us, the arrival of God's king meant the shroud of darkness, the shadow of death was being rolled back. And so unlike that first Chinese emperor, he killed himself to try to live. Well, we've got a king now who died, who was killed, that we might live. No mystical elixir of life. We have the real thing, eternal life, a seat at the banquet of God. And so in the end, death will come to us all. It will come for some of us sooner, some later. But if our faith in Jesus is like that of the centurion, then we will see the end of death. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we know that this world is broken, broken and suffering. There is illness and sickness everywhere. It's decaying. And we know that this is a spiritual reality. But we praise your Son, Jesus Christ, who came into this world, who not only touched to heal, who not only spoke to heal, but he gave his all that we might live. And so we pray, Heavenly Father, that you might give us the faith of that centurion to trust in Jesus every day of our life. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.